The Cryo Killer by Jason Werbeloff Read by Mark Ryan Rees Sales in the mornings, killings in the afternoons. We're a small business, so I have to do it all. I don't like sales much. Most of the time I'm selling our front, life insurance. But not today. The couple who walks in is young, younger than my usual. They don't look a day over thirty. Her face is bright. She scans the small office like it's a chocolate shop. Whole universes reflect in those eyes. I'm here for the New Year special, she says. Ten years ago, I would have found that syrupy voice irresistible. She takes the chair before I can offer it. The man on her arm is grey, also young, but he hobbles after her, geriatric-like, perches on the edge of his seat and glares at us, anxious. She's used the passphrase, the New Year special. I unlock the top drawer of my desk and confirm with her. Would that be the extended cover or the starter package? Extended. Welcome, I say, shaking their hands. His is cold and rubbery. To Life Extensions Limited, I'm Barker. She smiles at me in a way that makes the world feel a whole lot smaller, pushes every thought I own into that warm, wet place between her lips. She looks familiar, almost. Have we met? Her smile doesn't falter. I don't think so, she says. I put on my kind face, as Janet calls it. I feel Janet watching from her desk. It's just the two of us here at Life Extensions Limited. She's been with me pretty much since the beginning. She does the bookings and the admin. And I, well, I do everything else. It hadn't taken long for Janet to work out that I don't really sell life insurance. Or at least, that's not the only service I offer. She hadn't made a fuss of it, though. I don't judge, is all she'd say when pressed for her opinion. But she'd clutch the cross hanging from her neck. Thank you, says the girl with the smile. Inessa, and this is my husband, Paul. Inessa and Paul, good to meet you. Who referred you? Mr. Camphrey's wife. Paul's hands are working, picking at each other, at the cuticles. Ah, yes, I was sorry to hear about his passing. I think, she lowers her voice, that it was professionally done. Heart attack, I hear. I lean forward. You'd like a similar package, ma'am? Paul speaks up for the first time. Is it quick? If I had a penny for every time a client asked me that question. Painless, I say, or your money back. Paul harumphs. Excellent, says Inessa, beaming. You've been doing this a while? Best in the business, says Janet, striding over to us. She places a hand on my shoulder. You're safe with Barker. So you're wanting the double package? Inessa squeezes her husband's arm. Every carrot on her ring catches the sunlight. His nod is minuscule. Yes, she replies after a moment. Those are difficult. I lean back in my chair, weighing the ring out of the corner of my eye. Coroner looks closely at doubles. Needs a plausible cause of death. Right now, all I have in stock are gas leaks and home invasions. Invasions can get messy, brings down the property value. I suggest a gas leak, although, I glance at Paul, home invasions are on the rise. Paul scratches the skin over his knuckles. His lips have taken on a bluish tinge. 
I've seen all manner of manners displayed in the chairs on the other side of my desk. Clients respond to their impending deaths in all sorts of ways. Paul's reaction isn't unique. Gas leak, says Inessa definitively. Paul nods, a quick jerk up and down. When'll it happen? He can't meet my gaze. I could probably fit you in next week. Any preferences? I'm writing an exam on Tuesday, says Inessa. She looks to Paul. And I'm sure you'd like to finalize that merger. He groans. Late next week, she asks. Let's see. Janet, check my availability, please. Could do Friday next. Excellent, says Inessa. But Paul is fading to a paler blue by the minute. Droplets dot his forehead. I just can't live with the thought of this hanging over me for the next ten days. I just... He swallows. I just can't. I reach out a hand and touch the man's shoulder. His golf shirt is saturated. Not to worry, sir. A memory wipe is included. You'll never know you were here. I offer him my warmest smile. Janet calls it the Big Daddy. In fact, you may have been here before and you wouldn't know. Paul eyeballs me. Have we been here before? I couldn't tell you. I wink again. Paul's brow furrows. How much for the gas leak? Inessa asks. Well, it's a double. I charge three times the single fee, with the complications and all. That'll be... I jab on my ancient calculator for effect. A hundred and sixteen thousand. Paul bolts upright. But for you, I add, a ten percent discount. How do we know, Paul says, watching me sideways, that we haven't paid for this before? If you wiped our memories, you could be double-charging us. He raises his voice. Hell, we may have been here multiple times. I sigh internally. The memory wiper only works once, sir. If I try to wipe your memory of this meeting, and you've met with me before, it won't work. Inessa nods, satisfied. Paul slumps back into his chair. She grips his arm. It's a small price to pay, darling. Just think. When they thaw us in twenty years, imagine what your savings will be worth. That seems to sway him. You sure it won't hurt? I chuckle. You'll be dead before you know it. Inessa's cheeks bunch into a perfectly dimpled smile. Oh, Paul, isn't this exciting? An hour later, Paul's cash locked away in the top drawer, I walk the couple to the door. Now remember to have an early night. You'll wake up in the morning with a hangover, but you'll recall nothing of this meeting. It's important you tell nobody about this before the memory wipe takes place. The cryo bureau have ears everywhere. If they get wind of this, you don't want that. Of course, says Inessa. We won't say a thing, will we, darling? Yes, yes. Good, and thank you for using Life Extensions Limited. I close the door behind them with a tinkle. Tough sell, says Janet, not looking up from her screen. I thought the husband was going to pull out. You doubted me. She finds my gaze. I don't know how you do it, how you convince them to, you know. There's nothing wrong with it. It's not the first time I've said this. Even if it's illegal. Yes, but... I gave her a stern look. All right. Her tone returns to business as she hands me my moleskin folder. You've got a stroke at 2.30... Mr. Oglevy, Dr. Hanfan called to say the butter's ready. I swipe my coat and hat, 
but I turn back to her before I leave. One day you'll want a New Year's special too, Janet. Janet's hand shoots to the chain around her neck. I thumb the moleskin as I step to the car. Strokes are tricky, and Mr. Oglevy has requested one specially. My dad had one, he'd said, and his father. The man's right. Genetic predispositions are a good strategy for avoiding the coroner's gaze. The cryo-bureau hardly investigates them. No, what their systems flag are unusual deaths, untimely demises. I open the door to the old Buick and flop into the worn leather. The door closes with a comforting clang. They don't make car doors like they used to. Nowadays they shut with a thwunk of cheap rubber and plastic. But not my Buick. The engine roars into life. I place the open folder on the passenger seat. Todd Ogilvy's myopic eyes regard me from behind thick-rimmed glasses. Programmer. 36 last month. Takes lunch every day at the deli on Catherine Square. Predictable type of guy. They're the easiest clients. I'd agreed with him that a stroke makes sense, but it's a risky business. Current medical tech is able to reverse most non-fatal strokes, and cryo-killers will tell you that strokes will be entirely reversible in the near future. But still, you don't want to damage the memory center of the brain. No, sir. You do that, and your client might wake up in 20 years with no idea who he is or why he's there. Of course, if that were to happen, I'd get away with it scot-free. But I have a reputation to uphold. If word got out that I'd damaged his brain in the killing, well, then other clients wouldn't look my way. No, I'm an ethical killer. I do what I promise, and only what I promise. The Buick's engine rises to a dull roar as it surges along the highway toward Chinatown, toward Dr. Hanfan. Barring the rare unforeseeable complication, Dr. Hanfan has always been spot on the money. He provides everything I need for clients who require a medical solution. Barker! Dr. Hanfan slaps me across the shoulder. I got package ready! He passes me a styrofoam box. I lift the lid and peer inside. Doctor, you're a lifesaver. The needle-like projectile is thin as a human hair and about half an inch long. But this is no ordinary needle. Dr. Hanfan calls it a butter bullet. Don't ask me what a butter bullet is made of. He calls it butter because whatever its composition, the bullet dissolves on contact with a warm body, delivers its medicinal contents, and that's the end of it. Unless they look for it, the cryo-bureau would never know the client had been shot. This one difficult, says Dr. Hanfan. Special preparation. I hand him a bundle of cash. I appreciate your effort. You good man, Barker. Good man. I shut the styrofoam container, and Dr. Hanfan seals it with packing tape. Medicine work best if you hit him in the neck. He cocks his head and points to his carotid artery with an arthritic finger. That won't be a problem, I say. The traffic is easy, and soon I'm sitting at the deli in Catherine Square. It's one of those afternoons that make me want to live forever. I get that pastel blue feeling, when all the pieces of a killing fall into place. When all that's left is to pull the trigger, I watch purple martens flit this way and that through the ancient oak tree towering above us. Sunlight dapples the bricked pavement. The scent of freshly baked cheer butter layers the air between the laughter of children at a nearby table, the table behind Mr. Oglevy's. Todd Oglevy is absorbed in his Palmer ham wrap, 
masticating protractedly, as if the rap offers him some great message. Maybe it does. I reach beneath my suede coat and grip the pistol. I debate whether or not to let him finish his meal. But a stroke wouldn't wait, no matter how good the ham. I stand and toss thirty dollars on the table beside my half-eaten olive chia butter. My heart hardly accelerates as I stroll in the direction of Mr. Ogilvy. This will be number 603, only my ninth stroke, but nothing too unusual. He's less than two yards away. I place my finger on the trigger. I'm so close to Mr. Ogilvy now. I can see his untrimmed nose hairs brushing the wrap as he takes another bite. I slide my coat aside, place the barrel an inch from his neck, and pull the trigger. The pistol is silent. The gentlest whoosh of air and I'm ambling toward the far corner of the square. I don't look back, not until I'm standing behind a pillar by the second-hand bookshop where I bought Janet a guide to houseplants last month for her birthday. Mr. Ogilvy continues munching on his wrap, but scratches at his neck. Without swallowing, he lowers his fork and peers at the great oak tree. Even from where I stand, I can see that his face is asymmetrical. One eyelid is barely open as he considers the leaves. And then he slides to one side, silently collapses into a heap on the floor. I wait until someone sees him, until I see them call for help. Paramedics arrive minutes later. When they don't find a pulse, they scan the man's iris. Right now, the scanner is telling them that Mr. Ogilvy is registered for cryopreservation. And there it is, the blue needle. Once they inject cryoserum, my work is done. He'll be taken off to the cryobank. Another happy customer. Sure, they might investigate. Unlikely, but it could happen. Chances are, chances are very good, that he'll be frozen by sunset. So long as the coroner rules the cause of death anything but suicide or assisted suicide, Mr. Ogilvy will be frozen along with the rest of my clients. Until the day they wake him. The day they can repair his stroke and give him the anti-aging treatment that the docs in white coats say will be ready in the next decade or so. The docs don't have much hope that they'll be able to reverse aging, but preserve a man's age, that they'll be able to do. Todd Ogilvy will be 36 forever. I take the maglift down to the parking lot. Did you see his face before it happened, says a teenager in the lift. Was like he saw God. Ain't no God anymore, only cryo, says his friend. My stomach lurches as the elevator drops too quickly. Don't know why they couldn't just stick with the good old steel rope for elevators. Sometimes newer ain't better. Out of the 602 cases before Mr. Oglevy's, I've only had seven ruled assisted suicide. Unfortunate. The cryo bureau refuses to preserve them, with suicide being illegal and all. But a failure rate of just over 1% is better than most cryo killers can boast. The young cryo-killers today use all sorts of overrated and overdated methods to kill their clients. Just last month, I heard about a client whose head was smashed in by a bus. The cryo-killer he'd hired dimmed his Google glasses at the wrong moment. The bus had made short work of his brain and his memories, nothing left but a smudge on the pavement. I wonder, says the teen, whether you still have your soul when you wake up, if you ain't a zombie. The doors open and I stride out the elevator. I find the Buick easy enough, gleaming crimson body. Like the Buick, I do things the old way, proper. Only Roberto 
at the burrito stand on the corner of 4th and Queens has a better hit rate. If I ever wanted a New Year's special, I'd use him. Roberto's been around forever. He taught me the ropes all those years ago. We haven't spoken in decades. Some say he doesn't do the work himself any longer. Hands too shaky. I heard from Janet that he has a kid who does the hits for him nowadays, keeping it in the family. Sometimes I wish I'd had kids, a wife. There'd been Sally, of course. She'd wanted. But nothing had happened. Months. A year. We'd tried. Nothing. I check my watch. Five minutes to four. Lock up for me, please. I call into Janet. Any appointments tomorrow morning? None, Barker. I've cleared your schedule for the next three days so you can focus on the double that came in this morning. I know I should be researching the technicalities of gassing. Survival time after the leak. How to gas them without their noticing the stench. Response time of the emergency services in the area. Paramedics will need to get to the couple within an hour of their deaths for the cryopreservation to be effective. Which poses a problem. How to alert the authorities without tipping them off that there's been foul play. These are the sorts of issues I need to resolve by Friday next week. This is what I should be focusing on. But all I can do is watch her. Watch Inessa. It's one of my standard procedures to trail clients before the killing. Learn their habits, routines, what time they get home. Typical neighborhood behavior. But it's day two now and I've forgotten about gassing techniques and emergency response times. I don't know when it started exactly, my fascination with Inessa. No, actually I do. I followed her into the grocery store yesterday, and you'd think grocery shopping couldn't be sexy. You'd think. But Inessa lifted the melons to her nose as though they were holy relics. She worshipped their fragrance, and the way she studied the ingredients on the pasta sauce, with her hand on her hip, and a lock of raven hair falling across one eye. But it was when she paid at the till that it happened. That's when my heart lost its rhythm. I guess, to an outsider, it was unremarkable. I mean, people talk to the cashiers all the time. But the woman operating her till was grisly. The lips on that old sow hadn't curled into a smile in over a decade. She scowled at Inessa offloading her shopping onto the counter. The peaches growled the cashier. The peaches? Wham. Do you like peaches? asked Inessa. What? The cashier's wrinkled brow arched. Peaches. Do you like them? The cantankerous old woman eyed Inessa sideways. They're okay, I guess. A minute later, the two were chatting like they were old friends. The cashier's jowls bobbed up and down as she laughed. A grating sound unpracticed but pleasant. After Inessa had weighed and paid for the fruit, she forgot the peaches on the till. The old woman snuck them beneath the counter greedily. Inessa looked behind her as she left the store, with her cheeks bunched into that smile, the very same as that day in my office. And since then, I haven't been able to take my eyes off her. Beside the technical details of her killing, there was another problem. Paul. Before following Inessa to the grocery store, I'd watched him go through his morning. Golf with yuppie execs. All morning. I slotted in as the caddy. Inessa expects me to talk during dinner. Yeah, Barbara was the same, until I explained the way things are. 
Hey, shouted Paul. I told you last hole, three iron, not two. Sorry, sir, I said. Idiot, he grumbled. She's difficult, he said to the others after a moment. Demanding, never shuts up, and expects me to do the same. You know how hard I work. Don't have the energy when I get home. How's the sex? asked one of the other execs. More trouble than she's worth. Inessa gets pains, especially around her time of the month. Wish she'd told me about that before I married her. But we're Catholic. I'm stuck. Jesus. Yeah, Barbara's pretty wild. I was lucky. But she's dog ugly down there. I never look. Just shove it home. It had carried on like this for nine holes. By the end of it, my jaw was so sore from keeping my mouth shut that I wanted to scream. The next week passes in a blur of Inessa. I cease trailing Paul and focus on her instead. My Inessa. I tell myself there's a professional reason for this, for following her for so long. But as the days pass, I no longer have a reason, and I don't need one. All I need is Inessa. Almost every morning she meets with her neighbor, Daisy, at a rustic coffee shop just a few streets away. I listen to them laugh over frappes. Inessa's cheeks bunch into that smile, and Daisy slaps the table as they go four together. Those two are joined at the hip. On the days when they don't meet, Daisy comes over for dinner with her husband. I don't know why Daisy isn't worth Inessa's time. Plain brunette with a pig nose, Daisy ain't no oil painting. Inessa could do better. Sitting at a table too removed from theirs, I listen to Inessa talk about how she's almost finished her master's degree in anthropology. I love her mind. I yearn to talk with her, to get rid of Daisy and have coffee with Inessa, talk about anything, even anthropology. I'd reach across the table and stroke the fine hairs on her arm, the freckles on her wrist. She'd laugh with me like she's laughing with Daisy. Daisy. Daisy is the answer. The gas leak could happen on a day when Inessa and Daisy don't meet at the coffee shop. On an evening, that is, when Daisy would be visiting with her husband. They'd find Inessa and Paul dead on the kitchen floor. They'd call the emergency services in time for the paramedics to preserve their brains with cryoserum. Want to come over on Friday night? I hear Inessa ask. I'll make those tortillas you like. Of course, Daisy replies. Perfect. On schedule. Two days from now. That's when I'll do it. Gives me enough time to clog up their garbage disposal to mask the smell of the gas. All the pieces are falling into place. The cryo-bureau won't suspect a thing. The perfect double killing. But instead of feeling the pastel blue relief I feel whenever the plan for a killing materializes, I see an image of Anessa. Her pale cheek cold against the kitchen floor, lying in a cloud of gas. My heart chokes. Takes all my willpower to keep my latte down. I can't do it. Inessa laughs at something Daisy says. Her voice is birdsong. Her eyes are portals to another world. I can't kill her. If she's frozen in cryogenic suspension for the next twenty years without me, well, then, I'll never see her again. A thought flashes through my mind. A dangerous thought, but it feels familiar as though it's lurked in the dark corners of my brain for some time, ever since the day Inessa walked into my store, since the moment I suggested the gas leak. Maybe this is what I've wanted all along. Maybe I've wanted this from before I met her, 
an exit from this life and a ticket into a new life, a future with Inessa. It's Thursday night and I can't sleep. I glance over at the alarm clock. Actually, it's Friday morning, 5 a.m. Tomorrow, well, later today, is going to be rough. I'm going to die. But first, I'm going to kill Paul, permanently. If there's one thing I do well, it's killing. I've never murdered anyone before, though. And the prospect of eliminating Paul doesn't bring me any peace. But Inessa, Inessa's worth it. I sneeze. I have a god-awful headache, too. Thankfully, by this time tomorrow, I won't have to worry about whatever I'm coming down with. I'm not sure whether it's the thought of dying later today, the headache or the smell that's keeping me up. One of the tanks at the sulfur factory on the edge of town exploded this afternoon, and not even my cold can mask the stench. With the cash that I've earned from the life insurance industry, I can afford a country estate in the Winelands. All fine and well until there's a problem with the sulfur factory, which, mercifully, isn't often. Yesterday morning, while Inessa was coffeeing with Daisy, I slipped into her kitchen and backed up the garbage disposal unit. Normally, I would have left as quickly as I came, but I was curious to see more of her, how Inessa lives. The house was decorated just as I would have expected, understated, but elegant, just like the perfect killing. Inessa and I, we think alike. She'll be happy with me, one day. After my visit to the house, Doug, my PI and go-to tech guy that I use for more complicated jobs, called. He ain't got much love in this world, said Doug, beside that gorgeous wife. Did you see the legs on that one? Go on, Doug. Paul's father died four years ago, and his mother rots away in a retirement home in Iowa. Only sibling, a sister who lives in Vancouver, isn't mentioned on his Facebook profile. They aren't connected on any social media networks either, and there's no trace of a phone call or message between them in the last few years. He's a piece of work, that guy, I said. Yeah, Doug concurred. I think you've got yourself a missing piece. In other words, if Paul were to disappear, nobody but Inessa would look for him for some time, and Inessa won't be looking. Paul drives back from the golf course every afternoon in his convertible Mercedes E750. There's a long and lonely stretch of road just outside the golf course. A stretch of road that could suffer an exploding vehicle without causing any casualties other than the death of the driver. I'd take care of that with a bomb on a timer, and while Paul was meeting his end, I'd be with Inessa, at her home. At our home. I put through an order this morning for an amnesia serum from Dr. Hanfan. One squirt and she'll be wondering what her name is, he'd said. But she won't wonder long. The gas leak will take care of her and me. I'll find my way to the back of the house before I pass out. Leave Vanessa in the kitchen where Daisy can spot her from the front door when she arrives for dinner. Paramedics will have no reason to think that it's not Paul who's dead in the next room. Daisy won't be allowed inside, and nobody cares enough about him to identify Paul's body at the cryo bureau. I squint at the time. 0518. All that's left to do tomorrow is get a duplicate of Paul's ID and driver's license, so I can have it on me when the paramedics arrive. Doug is pretty quick with these things. I can pick it up on my way into work with Janet. She collects me every Friday morning. We frequent the croissants at the 24-hour bakery on Grant Avenue, sort of become a tradition, 
she'll be here in less than an hour. I feel a pang of regret at the thought that tomorrow will be the last time I see Janet. I sneeze again before the regret grows. Feel nauseous now. Probably more like stomach flu than a cold. I wonder what it'll be like to wake up in twenty years beside Inessa. I've never been a fan of the future, but Inessa, hell, Inessa is worth twenty years. She's worth a hundred. She won't remember me or anything else when she wakes from cryo, but I'll remember her. She'll love me, I know she will. God, my head hurts. Mustn't forget to ask Doug to expunge Paul's dental records from any databases before that useless excuse for a man dies in the explosion tomorrow. The nausea is getting worse. I stumble out of bed, dizzy as hell. Confused, I stagger toward the bedroom window rather than to the bathroom. I look down to see two slender figures scampering across the lawn. Is that... I could swear. Yes, one of them is Anessa, and the other... The other? I know that pig nose and lumpy thighs. It's Daisy. My chest heaves, and I throw up on the windowsill, but not before I remember why Inessa's face looks so familiar. The bridge of her nose, those narrow eyes. Why hadn't I seen it before? She's Roberto's kid, my old mentor, Roberto, the only cryo-killer better than I am. I must have asked him to kill me, asked him for the New Year special. And like any competent cryo-killer, Roberto would have wiped my memory of the meeting. Inessa. She's the kid who does his killings these days. I sink to the carpet, struggle and fail to cough up the vomit that's found its way down my trachea. Gas poisoning will do that to a man. I have time to manage a smile, the big daddy, before my head hits the floor and the world fades to obsidian. But only for twenty years.